With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Derek Broussard. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi. This is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. People's podcast, players podcast, prognosticators podcast, Petalite podcast, Pamers podcast, the only Flyers podcast. We just, one time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn people right off the top. I think there's probably going to be profanity in this episode. So if you're in the car with a kid, like, come back to it later. I. I swear, guys, one one week, I just want to come onto the show and talk about hockey. I want to get Bundy's perspective on what we're seeing on the ice. I want to get Ant's perspective on what Ant does. Nothing. Like, why? We're going to get into a bunch today, including the fact that um, not only are there other teams making moves, which apparently you're allowed to do, but not if you're the Flyers. Not only is that happening, but the head coach has now, I don't know, alienated two of the teams either better younger players that are going to have to be part of this thing going forward or are potential trade pieces at some point and is effectively tanking their value in the public. So we've got a lot, a lot of good stuff's going on. So first, let me throw it to my dear friend, Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter at Philly. How are you? Are you excited about the Flyers? Be honest. You just want to go cover the Phillies. That's what that Chris Mack guy said in the Twitter community. How are you? Oh, well, you know, it's, I'm, I'm counting down the days, boys. Uh, spring training. I leave for spring training in, uh, Let's see, it's, uh, 10 days. So in 10 days, I'll be in the warmth of the summer sun in Florida and uh, could put a little bit of this hockey. Po- Although I will say I am going to try and go to the Flyers game in Tampa while I'm down there. So try and do a little bit of coverage from the road. See if maybe I can talk to some guys uh, without a lot of the local media around. So we'll see. We'll dive into that. That'd be post-trade deadline. So. Hey, don't worry. If the local media is down there, they're not going to go ask any questions anyway. Their editor is going to write a story for them. Anyway, let's go <laughs> to uh, Chris Terrian Bundy. Find him on Twitter at CTerrian6. How are you doing, you beaut? I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, it was actually, I went down there. The first time I've seen that 76ers collection of players uh, actually at the Wells Fargo Center. So I went down to the game last night. It was a hell of a win. Uh, two good teams going at it. And a unbelievable last minute of the game. And uh I'm going to do it again tonight. I'm going to do a turnaround and head down to the Flyers tonight. The home and home Philly special. Wow. Philly special tonight. Yeah. So look at, look at, you got, are, are you, where are you, where are you at for the, for the uh, game? Are you popping up into the press box area? Yeah. Uh, no, I think I'm going to go in this, like the suites and then maybe go say the hi suites? to some people, okay. some of the suites and stuff. It was a good time last night. I went down with uh, another guy in our, uh, in, in recovery, Zach Clark, who's actually from the Haddonfield area. He was the guy that won the, the bachelorette one year. And he's oh, yeah. got uh, an amazing uh, uh, treatment center up in the New York area, but he's from Philly. So uh, both doing uh, both doing good work, and uh, it was good to see him. And I had a good time. It was a fun, fun event down there last night, and um, the building was rocking, and I'm sure it will be again tonight. For that, for the big Montreal matchup. Montreal coming into town, yeah. Remember that, like, hey, Montreal can- Flyers, right? Like, you're thinking, like, God, that was a hated rivalry, too, at one time, right? The two teams got after each other in the – in the eighties and uh, they're coming into town. Tonight. Hey, okay. If the fly, if the flyers lose tonight, the Canadians are only two points behind them in the standings. You drop a spot soon. You know, Montreal, Montreal kind of started out good and then they just went bad, really bad. And I guess they're, you know, they're, they're good again, a little or playing better again now. Yeah. Montreal a team who made a Stanley cup final and then realized that they weren't actually as good as, uh, as people thought they might've been. And they started to, uh, you know, rebuild. Imagine that a really crazy concept being honest about where your team is at. Guys, um, 
I, as much as I would love to flay Chuck Fletcher yet again, um, I don't think that there's as much vitriol right now. I mean, there is, there is on Flyers Twitter, uh, as there tends to be, and also on Facebook. But um, one thing that came up this past week that I think really needs to get our focus today is what has happened publicly with John Tortorella and a couple of younger players on this team, one Joel Farabee and another Travis Sanheim. Now, both of these guys have been given contracts by Chuck Fletcher. Uh, You could make the argument that they were both given a contract too early for too long and perhaps at too much money by Chuck Fletcher, which is a whole other thing that we can get into at some point. But these are both quote unquote Chuck's guys. These are guys that Chuck Fletcher and this front office decided are part of the future. And um, Travis Sanheim was benched at home. He was uh, not in the lineup. He was a healthy scratch. Um, And when I say at home, I mean out West uh, where his family and presumably friends were in attendance for the game. And then Joel Farabee plays three-ish minutes in a game and is sat the rest of the way. And so I guess right off the top, uh, Anthony, let me go to you first. Are you surprised by John Tortorella's handling of these things? We can get into the rationale here in a minute, but are you surprised that he's gone this way with these guys? No, not at all. I mean, I, I, I think, and I think they're both different cases in a lot of ways. Um, starting with Faraby, I, I do think that he believes that Faraby is a part of the future. I, I don't think that he looks at Faraby and says, this guy, I want him out of here. Like, I, I, I don't get that. Um, but I do think that he is trying to push Faraby's buttons a bit and trying to see what kind, what, what you know, how far he can push him. Um, I think that that's what Torts' game plan is with Faraby. Right now, it's not working. Faraby has kind of pushed back a little bit. He's had his agent call and um, complained of Chuck Fletcher. Um, which is kind of crazy. And then Torts finally responded to it today. Um, I guess it was the first time he was asked about it since it happened. I mean, it was Tuesday night and today's Friday, right? It's Friday morning. So um, yeah, it's, that's, that's the thing. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy there. Um, And we can get into specifically what Torts said. Um, I don't know if you want to pull up tweets or if we want to talk, just talk about the quotes, whatever, but the thing that I think is a big issue here that I think has really been glossed over is this. Now, obviously, Torts, has, Torts said earlier, you know, I guess it was back in December, that he wasn't going to let Farabee's lackluster play or or not great or inconsistent play, um, he wasn't going to let him hide that behind the injury that he had and the surgery that he had, which was, for people who don't know, he had artificial disc replacement surgery, basically the same surgery that Jack Eichel had. And and not and look, Eichel hasn't been the same player since he came back, right? I mean, it's it's a it's a tough thing to come back from, but they came, but he came back. Here's the issue that I have. When they originally announced that this he was having the surgery, they said he was going to be back mid-November, right? And we even thought it could be a little bit longer. I was originally told Thanksgiving would be kind of the time he played opening night now why did that happen why not why didn't they afford him the extra time to get because i mean obviously his off-season training was affected right and so now you get to this point in the season and he's and he's struggling and he's struggling because he didn't have that off-season training why didn't they afford him the time in october and into november to ramp up that training, to be prepared for the length of the season. And the reason is this. One, they were desperate because they still felt they can be competitive. That's number one. Number two, the Sean Couturier injury and the, and, and the uh, Cam Atkinson injury, um, likely sidelining both for much or all of the season, said, oh, shit, we need offense. Now, the doctors wouldn't put him back playing if he was at risk of re-injuring himself or hurting himself uh they wouldn't put him at that much in that much danger but they basically said he can go out there and skate and play i mean he's not going to get you know he's not at risk but what he didn't have is he didn't have that training and that stamina to play at this level and so he started the season okay i mean he wasn't great but he started the season okay but it's been the last you know 15 20 games where he's been awful 
Mm-hmm. And you got to expect it because he's hit that wall now because he just wasn't ready for the season. The Flyers are responsible for this. Okay. Yeah, the player needs to play better. I don't want to, I don't want to completely absolve Joel Farabee. Could he play better? He sure, sure can. And I think Bundy will talk about it a little bit too. But the reality of the situation is, is that they were desperate, brought him back too soon, and put him into the position to fail in the way that he's failing. And that's the greater issue, and it's not even being addressed. It's not being talked about. But that really is the problem with Joel Farabee. Torts is not handling it great, personally, but that's the, that, to me, is the issue with Farabee. If, I'll let Bundy respond to that, and then we can talk about Sandheim second. You know, Farabee's... Uh... For where he's at right now, I'm okay with, you know, how they, they kind of handle the situation in terms of trying to get more out of him. I, I came back one year. I had a back injury at the beginning of training camp one year. Uh, it was actually, I think, in the first preseason game. And I'm telling you, I'd, like, I'd never had – didn't believe in back injuries till that happened. And I ended up making it back for opening night against Vancouver that year. And um, I wasn't the same for like a month. I couldn't get around as well. I just wasn't feeling – you know, and you want to play, right? Because if it's not like totally aching, you're still going to try to play. But I wasn't helping really myself or the team. And then, and then over time, it started to feel a little better. I worked its way in, but I probably needed another two weeks of, you know, rehab and to, to let it rest a little bit more. Um, but two things with Farabee, just when I'm thinking about it right now. So the first thing is, is that Torts is in his mind, he doesn't really care who you are because he's not thinking to himself, well, we have a team that's so good that you know, we can overcome a lot of the deficiencies we have. So he he's going to put an onus on making younger guys more accountable and making them more, you know, uh, um, buying into his system. The problem with Farabee right now, though, is his production's down, um, his compete level's down. Uh, even like the, when he first was, do, you know, having some success early in his career, he'd go to the front of the net. I don't see that as much. Um, and when we don't, in a lot of games, we don't notice them. So for Torts, he's thinking to himself, well, I got a guy here who's in like his fourth or fifth year uh, in, in the NHL, and um, he's not really taking that kind of strides that we need as a group to be better. So he's going to be a target for Torts. He's been he's done this over the years with many, many young guys, and he's done it to, to players that have been have had better starts to their career than Joel Farabee. Anyway, you could ask like Patrick, uh, uh, you know, Line when he when he ended up uh, getting traded. I mean, there's or excuse me, the um, uh, Dubois. I mean, he can wear guys down. And you heard players over Twitter in the summer and like uh, guys that had played for him saying like, "Good luck to the Flyers," but. He will take younger targets, and um, the problem is, is you have to know what you're doing. And there's a different era now because guys don't take it as uh, you know something to build on. They you know they'll call their agents or they'll call people to get support from them, and then the agent makes us think about it. And, and right now for Torts, he he's not thinking about that his way. Um, there's different ways of handling things. I think there's more. There there are ways of of talking to people or or, or being able to to reiterate what you want to get from a player on the ice or, or whatever sport it is. He's probably has had those conversations with Farabee through the year and whether or not they're, they've been uh, received is probably between torts, uh, you know, seeing what torts has said to him and, and, and he's clearly sees it's not getting it's message is not received. So he's not going to allow a guy to have to use an injury um, as an excuse. That's not something that he's going to do. And uh, and quite frankly, he's looking at it like, Hey, I got a guy who's supposed to be second line guy, maybe third. He's making a lot of money. And we're not getting any production out of him. So how do I get production out of him? I think Torts is saying to himself, I'm going to call him out. I'm going to call him out publicly. I'm going to put him on the hot seat. And I'm going to see how he responds. Um, and usually you find out a lot about a person uh, when you put him through these kinds of things. There's a little different world now that we live in. I mean, I've you know, guys were tested and pushed really, really hard a long time ago. And I think it took a lot of, out of guys. And so people are a little bit more receptive to how things are handled today. Uh, but, you know, Farabee, uh, you know, with his his criticism he ended up uh you know taking it uh to to the agent the agent made a comment and now there's uh you know you got the coach going after the agent so uh there's a lot of things that went wrong with this i like the messaging that he's not necessarily letting the kid off the hook but i'm sure that there's been things that have gone on this year uh beyond um in fact i know that have gone on in the, in the locker room from hearing some rumors that uh you know there's been there's been tensions a lot between Farabee and the coach and he seems to be one of the targets uh of john and um and that's that's pretty normal guys to be honest with you for young guys for a tortorella team that he thinks is gonna is supposed to help like anthony said carry this team in uh or be a part of the future he's gonna he's gonna put his foot down in that pedal pretty hard 
and whether or not it's received well or how it's received uh, is up to the player, uh, both how he responds in the ice and how he responds, quite frankly, to you know the situation going public the way it has. And to that point, John Tortorella this morning is asked about it uh, at Skate Zone, I guess, right? Uh, or he's asked at the morning presser. And Tortorella says, <clears throat> um, is his agent popping off that he's pissed off, referring to Farabee? He should shut up. <laughs> All right, so... His agent, uh, by the way, is, is Sean Hunwick. Uh, Bunny, I don't know if you know him, um, but he's also JVR's agent as well. So I have a very un unpopular opinion. All right, I'm, I'm just going to preface it. I know this is going to be unpopular. I think that Torts needs to shut up. In fact, I think that what we are seeing right now is one of the many symptoms of a disease that has infected this franchise. And when I say that, I do so noting the fact that Tortorella is only one part of this and that in a competent hockey ops situation, John Tortorella would have been a fantastic coach to take a team that hadn't gotten over the hump and make them an instant cup contender or a guy to take a mid-level team and make them an upper echelon in their conference team. And instead what we're seeing, and unfortunately what is continuing to kind of bear out is that John Tortorella is, I think, in some way, buckling under pressure. And the pressure that he's buckling under is he has his own ego, which any coach needs to have. But I don't think that he took this job thinking it was going to be this bad or that it was going to be this hard. And lashing out consistently is not going to work. You know, it might work with a, a veteran player like Kevin Hayes, who's off to a career year. It might work for a guy who needed a kick in the ass like Travis Konechny. But what you are doing is effectively hurting not only the relationship that you have with the player, whatever. I mean, you might care about that. You might not. But you are truly potentially damaging what is either supposed to be a core member of your team going forward or somebody who actually has value on the trade market. Now, Farabee's down year does not put him into a category where you're going to sell high. This would be an ultimate sell low. And truthfully, it's not worth it. But in the minds of other executives, if you were to have a conversation or if you were to have a conversation in the off season, this isn't good optics. This appears now as though there's a player who maybe is complaining, a player who's perhaps um, not giving his all at this point, who now has an agent who's gone out and, and publicly complained or has allowed for the rumor to get to Saravali to complain. And what it does is it hurts your organization. It hurts your team's ability to make a deal. I, I just, I get to a point where I go, and I, I get that John Tortorella has won a Stanley Cup two decades ago. I get it. And I get that he's good at taking bad teams and making them good. But I don't think this has a long life. Like, if you had asked me at the beginning of the year, does John Tortorella see the end of his contract and get an extension? I said, probably. But now I'm sitting back going, I don't know what this looks like. Because, again, I mean, it kind of comes back to what's going to happen above him, what's going to happen on the hockey ops side. But, like, the problem with hiring a coach like this to the kind of deal that you hired him to is now any executive that you might bring in after Chuck Fletcher is now hamstrung. They have to keep John Tortorella. They have to deal with this. And now if you're a, an executive, if you're a rising star executive in this league, and this job were to come up, Chuck Fletcher's job were to come up in the offseason, would you want to deal with this? I'm not so sure I would. Well, I, I, here's, here's, here's the thing. Um, and it's funny because, like, this is all kind of like happening as we're recording this morning, right? Um, mm -hmm. So Faraby saying all the right things. Um, said he saw all the stuff that, that broke yesterday. Um, uh, said he says this stuff tends to pop up at the trade deadline. Says there's nothing to it. He wants to be here. Um, and that he's 100% committed to being a flyer. He feels as if he's gotten a fair opportunity this season. Um, so he's saying all the right things. Good on him. Uh, which is good on him, which is good yeah. on him. Um, th that being said, Russ, I, I, I will disagree slightly with you in the sense that I think if you're the coach and you come into this situation, 
you need to know who you who you have. Once you realize that, yeah, this is going to be this is going to take a few years. And let's keep in mind that Tortorella, with the exception of the one year he was in Vancouver, everywhere he's been, it's been year four that has been his best year. Okay, with his team, so he does take on teams that haven't been great, um, and eventually gets them there. And 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 he feels like that's what he has to like in year one. He has to find who out who these people are and you know maybe this shows him that joel farabee has a little bit of that gumption maybe it sparks him a little bit and maybe he comes out and plays you know with a greater compete level maybe he doesn't maybe he doesn't score maybe he doesn't have the energy that he needs to have this time of year right and and, and maybe tortorella is willing to give him that if he sees more of a compete level out of the guys, the guys out there busting his ass, but just can't get it done because of, of where he's at, you know, physically at this point. Um, I think that he would give him credit for that. I, I don't think Torts would still beat the drum that he's not doing what he needs to do. And, and Bundy, I think, I think that's fair, right? If, if you see a player giving you everything he has, even when he is compromised physically, then, you know, the coach is going to is going to recognize that and give you credit for it, and I and I think that's what he's hoping to get out of Farabee. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think so, and I think he just probably yeah he does. He wants them to to learn for the long run, right? Like to that this is you know the way you have to play in the league, and he's probably I, I one thing I know they've had conversations like through the year, like he's been telling them this is what we need from you. Uh, so that's been discussed and clearly got to a point where I think Torch is like, okay, well, I got to take it a step higher. I mean, the media, whatever happens sometimes, the media has always played, a, uh, you know, a part in sometimes, you know, guys being better. I mean, you know, that's what coaches have a couple weapons in their arsenal. One is ice time and sometimes the other one's the media, um, you know, how you get really your message across to them. So yeah, I, I think that the, the really for Joel, like, I mean, he, you know, from what he does, I mean, to me, all he needs to do as a player is be hard in, in the corners when he plays there and go to the front of the net. You know, he's not, a, he's not a skilled playmaker. He's a, he's a guy that's a, you know, front of the net type of finish guy, find the loose garbage and loose change and, and try to score 25 a year. You know, that's what they paid him for. That's what somebody saw there. But if you're just out there thinking that you're going to be a goal scorer and you're not going to put the hard work in the, 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 the it, you know, around the puck, you know, like where you're not, when you don't have the puck, but playing without it and doing those right things, that's part of what Torts's process is as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, this is, this is classic. This is what he's done pretty much everywhere he's been. You know, he's taken a couple of young guys, uh, he targets them at different times during the year and he tries to get, uh, you know, tries to get the most out of players, you know, by, you know, like sometimes psychological warfare in many ways. And, and it is, but you know, again, it's how you respond. If you respond to it, I remember, that's what Clark, I remember Bob Clark used to say that, like he challenge a guy and how he responded the next night would tell you what kind of character that guy had. You know, like in terms of if he was a guy that cared enough or really was, you know, worried about what, you know, maybe his future in the league or if he's going to give it give it his all when he's been called into question. And it's a bad feeling, but, you know, you get to find out a lot about yourself in the process. And there, there we've seen more to Farabee than this, right? Like, so, you know, Torts is saying, okay, well, I've given him the injury. I probably have already. And now we're down to like the 60 game mark or whatever it is. We're getting close to it and or we're already there. And, uh you know, I'm going to ride him hard inside the last 22 games because he's had pretty much all year to let this heal, even though maybe it doesn't work like that. Uh, you know, came out on opening night when he probably needed another 45 days of, of, of full uh, uh, recovery. So there's a lot of things mixed up in, in what's gone on, guys. But it's all, uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, it comes down to player production and what the player's done and the coach's issues with that player. And it's not been a good year for Joel Farabee to this point. And a lot of it's because of the injury. I believe well, that. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, though, there, there are like two things about this that, that are in hand that like need to get highlighted. One, you know, and I think you mentioned off the top, this is a similar surgery that Jack Eichel had and that Eichel hasn't exactly returned to form. Eichel this year, I think Eichel had the surgery in 2021 and correct it. Uh, and he was back on the ice within six weeks or so. So he's he's farther along in his timeline than, than Farabee was. But Eichel right now is almost a point per game player. Now, that wasn't the case last year. Eichel has a much higher ceiling and also is a better player than Joel Farabee is, right? There, there's part of me that looks at this and goes, did Farabee come back too early? One, I mean, you can make the case, all right, he was in a similar timeline to where Eichel was from surgery to, to getting on the ice. Is part of this because Farabee wanted to prove to his coach that he wasn't going to let this injury 
be the thing that became an excuse. I don't like the fact that the coach said publicly he wasn't going to let the player hide behind the surgery. This isn't like getting a sports hernia, right? It's an artificial disc replacement. Like I, I would say that that's a more severe, it is a uh, more touch and go kind of surgery than like a core muscle surgery is. I, 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 I don't, I don't like the messaging of that. And I don't see how that's, um, a, you know, good motivational tactic. The, the thing that is critical is Tortorella cannot continue to go to this well the rest of the season and beyond because there is a certain lifespan on calling players out this way publicly before you get tuned out. And that's just, that, that is a, a fact of life. Think about when you guys were in school, all right? Anthony, I have to imagine, was a great student, a true, a true bookworm. Bundy probably, well, we know Bundy still can't read. That's why he had to get an audiobook version of his own book. <laughs> but when you're in school and your teacher's getting pissed off and you know it, you can see it on their face, what's the first thing they do? They speak in a generality. They say, we all need to get back on the same page. And eventually you wear that teacher down enough where the teacher snaps. They call out that kid by name. And then you get to sit back and you see, how does this kid react? And maybe that one day it works and maybe that kid never misbehaves again and they go through the rest of the year and everything's great. I mean, I, I spent nine years as a teacher, know how this works, but there is the side that you do that enough and that kid tunes you out. And the second that kid tunes you out, you try it on another kid. It doesn't work. And pretty soon that whole classroom full of kids realizes eh, we we're okay. We don't necessarily have to buy in now because we've been able to kind of break through. And there is obviously a difference. There's a difference with a head coach. There's a difference with a head coach that's making millions of dollars. There's a difference with a head coach that's won a Stanley Cup. I get that. But he's gone to this well a lot this year. I need to see in year two, does he feel the need to do that again? Because you could make the argument that if he's doing what he's supposed to be doing as the coach and he's getting these guys up to play the way that we've always been told John Tortorella teams play, he shouldn't have to do this or shouldn't have to do this as much as he has. So he's done this publicly with Farabee. Let's get to the other guy that it's affected. Most notably, Travis Sanheim. They're out West. It is known that Sanheim is from out there. It is known by anybody that when you are playing in front of your home crowd, right, where you grew up, or at least the closest team to where you grew up, you're going to have friends and family in the stands. Everyone knows this. And if you as a head coach don't know this, one of your assistants is cognizant of it. And if one of your assistant coaches isn't cognizant of it, somebody in the leadership core is cognizant of it. John Tortorella today, when asked about why he sat Travis Sanheim and if that was a negative to do in front of his home fans or in front of friends and family, said, I didn't even know. Would it have affected my decision? No. I look at this and I say, that is an arrogant thing to say as a coach. And it is not something that is going to elicit a positive response from the player because you've effectively embarrassed them in front of their family and friends. Maybe I'm wrong, Ant. You gotta finish the quote. The quote, the finish at the end of the quote is even better. If that's going quote in front of me. Oh, if that's going to hurt relationships or feelings, then I'm not so sure about the player. <laughs> it's bullshit. Like th this is, this yeah. is- No, it's like, not. It's it, not. It is. it is. It's not, I think it's different. I think it's different. I think the diff there's a difference between Faraby and Sanheim here. Yeah. I, I think that Torts firmly believes that there's more that Faraby can give, that Faraby can be a part of this going forward. I also believe that Torts is not as fond of Sanheim and doesn't think Sanheim is, is, a, is a solution here. And I think that that's what he's expressing there. I think that's the difference between how he's handling these two. Bundy, do you see it differently? Yeah, I mean, so I got to be careful here. Um, I get you. Yeah, no, you got to be careful how you say it, right? So, listen, I say played for, co say, I, say, I played for coaches tweeted. that I think personally knew that the locker room was fond of me. I got along great with the team. Like my teammates, I was a popular guy in the room. I can say that. I believe that. You know, I was a, a, a guy in the room that. I wanted other guys to feel comfortable, like, you know, and just themselves as people. Um, the worst thing that you can do to a guy in the NHL 
if he's a main player on your team, like a regular, is to sit that player in his hometown. It's totally by design. It, don't tell me you didn't know it was his hometown. He played for the Calgary Hitmen, didn't he? Right? And, and yeah, I mean, so, so he's from Western Manitoba. Right. It's an easy ride. Everybody goes because it's that's, and, right. right. And it's not far to Calgary. And Calgary, he did play for the Hitman Junior. So he's got yeah. a lot of friends and from when he was in Calgary and his family's from Western Manitoba. So they're not that far away. So, I mean, I played for guys that I had that I know that probably didn't like me, in, you know, like Hitch. I mean, Hitch didn't get along until my last year, actually. And now I probably would actually exchange pleasantries. Unless he read my book, he probably wouldn't. But, um, <laughs> um, Whatever. Like, like Tort said, I don't really care. <laughs> right. So whatever. Uh, but you know what? No, but, but when you do that to a player, like when you sit a guy out, like in a moment where he knows his family and friends are coming, uh, that's to me the worst. Like, and I, and I'm saying like, if I had hitch or, or anyone else, maybe didn't like me, like no one ever sat me in Ottawa. You know, it just wasn't, mm-hmm. I don't think it's something you do. Um, because it's, if there's one out of 82 games, you're only there once. Right. And so, and you know, that was before the four game losing streak. And I'll say the one thing, like things really shifted last time after the 10 game losing streak, like in terms of where Torts, I think is kind of understanding of what he really came into here. You know, I think he was as stunned in a lot of ways where he's like, wow, we just lost 10 in a row. And I know that I'm a good coach and I still couldn't get one win out of 10. And I think there was a kind of a shift a shift in torts in the season after that 10 game losing streak. Cause I think he realized, wow, this is what I am dealing with. And this is what this team went through last year. Um, and, and I know that I'm one heck of a coach. And if we just lost 10 in a row, then we're really at a, at a deficit talent wise here. And so I think what torts did was I think it kind of ticked him off. I think it pissed him off as a person, as a professional. And, and he pushed the buttons in other ways. You know, you can't create talent. You can't, like, you know, paint talent onto a player. And all of a sudden, the guy goes out and it shifts. So I think that he realizes it. And he's basically said it after games. Like, the other night, he said, with the Edmonton game, like, we can't play like that. You know, we have to take a game and basically muck it up and 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 shut teams down and not trade chances with them. The penalty hurt the, two, the double minor against Edmonton. But what he's doing now is he's trying to get guys to be accountable on the ice, understanding that there's limited talent that's going to score a ton of goals and they're going to have to win, you know, low tight scoring games to have any kind of success. Um, but the move, the, yeah, that move with Sanheim, that's a, that's a really, really big thing to do to a guy. And I can assure you right now it was talked about amongst the team away from the coaches. Cause I remember, I think it happened once in my career. People were like, I don't know if the coach knew that he knows it was a guy's hometown. And I'm thinking after how the hell does he not know it's a guy's hometown uh, or at least a place where family and friends were going to, you know, uh, you know, come and watch the guy play. You know, it's only, you're only there once a year, you know, it's a one trip and out. And uh, you know, you could have sat the guy against the Islanders if you really did, but you know, I mean, people are going to say, well, he's a, you know, he's making that kind of money and, and he could be sat whenever. And that's true. There, That is, I just felt like, if you're trying to, you know, which tells me, Anthony, he doesn't really care too much about his feelings, which is essentially what he said. Like, he doesn't care at all. It's basically so, which tells me that he actually, with Farabee, might actually think there's something there. Maybe with Sandheim, he's thinking, is there really anything here? Is this a guy we can march forward with? But he's got an eight-year, $50 million deal that the GM, bango, bango, bango. The, the GM signed him to. And so, you know, you wonder, too, is there a shot at the GM again? Like, we're not getting, we're not getting what we're supposed to be getting out of your highest paid defenseman? And here's what I think of him. We're going to just sit him out for, because it's just, we're going to make him like another player on the team. Like we're just going to sit you out like we do for a third pair guy. And that's kind of what it looked well, like. But my, my issue was really about just the person. Like he's still a person, right? It's still his family. He still made it to the NHL. Uh, the team is not like teetering on seventh or eighth where you're trying to, to fight for points. I mean, like they might say they're close, but they're not. I mean, it's it's going to be hard to even gain another two points in the way the standings are going and everyone's lining up against each other. So I don't know. I mean, that's and I said that on Twitter the other day. Like when you do that to a guy, you better know for sure what that guy is going to how his approach is going to be moving, not just the next game, but the next month. And the next season, because stuff like that, I've seen guys, man, where it reverberates on players. I don't want to name any names, but there's guys I play with. If you did that to them, man, you'd be there. Some guys be crushed, crushed over that, you know, and have a lot of apathy towards the coach for it. So again, you have to know what you're dealing with. I'm sure all the right things were said, and they said, "San, I will learn from it, and move on." But that's a that was a tough one for me. I, I just thought that just have a little bit of humanity too, like just think 
forward a little bit. You want to sit them out. You find a game to sit them out. This team's not going to go into the playoffs and go on a deep run. And and, and I always believe, you know what, use, use this, the benching for to message to the player. You know, like if you're trying to make the player better. I tell the story all the time, Anthony, my third year in the league, I got, I've played every game. Then I got benched like nine out of 13 games. Like sad, a healthy scratch. I was playing probably 18 minutes a night. And I'm like, wow, I'm at a precipice. Like I'm at a, I'm staring my career in the face right now. And I was like, I was scared shitless. You know, like, man, is this it? Like maybe I got my shot. And I'll tell you what I did. And I moved forward and people talked about it. Like, I mean, I worked harder. I, I did more on the ice. I started taking more onus. And by two weeks after that scratching, I was playing with Desjardins. Um, and, and my life, my career, my life changed, you know. And um, But, you know, I took – that was done. Like Terry Murray, and I write it in my book. I thank Terry Murray. I thank Terry Murray for that. I don't care about streaks or playing the long, you know, the games in a row. That defined my career. It defined my character. Uh, and my teammates knew that. At least they knew, like, wow, this guy went through a lot. Nine games. He played every game in his contract year. And I came back and, and honestly, God, I had the best playoff I had uh, in that 97, even though we lost in the finals. So, you know, take take. I always look for the way to take the positive out of it. And I just didn't see a whole lot of positives there uh, if, to, for the player to look at look forward after that. That's because there weren't any positives. It was a dick move. That's what it was. It, it is a flat out dick move. And it does not take into consideration that there's a human being. And for all the people who are like now pounding their chests, listening to the show, oh, these guys are getting paid millions. Who cares? There's still there's still an element. There's still a human element to it. If you're not happy with how Sandheim has played, there are plenty of games that you can set him in a meaningless season. It doesn't have to be in front of his, his friends and family at home. If the idea here, and this is maybe where it comes down to, right? This is like, is it a situation where he's that pissed off with how Sandheim has played? Maybe. Is this just, is Sandheim collateral damage? Is, is he catching strays in this because this is the coach trying to send another message to the GM or to ownership about this is the guy, this is one of the guys that this president of Hockey Ops has signed to a long-term contract extension at a higher than should have been cap hit for an early extension. And this is what I think of it. And maybe it is, but that's where I come back to something I said right off the top. If you don't think Sanheim is part of the future of this team, you as the coach should not be doing things that could potentially adversely affect the ability to move that player, whether it's at this trade deadline or in the offseason. And so I just, I don't think there are positives, Bundy, and I think that's why you're having a hard time finding them because it, it just doesn't work on any level. By the way, that contract extension that Sanheim was signed to, that happened in mid-October in a season that we all knew was going to go a certain way. It wasn't signed in the off season. It wasn't signed before the possibility of going out and getting a Johnny Gaudreau or something. No, this, this was mid October, eight years, $50 million. If Travis Sanheim had not signed that extension and had gone into free agency, there is not a, there is not a snowball's chance in hell that that is the contract he would have gotten on. the. Um, well, he couldn't have gotten eight years. That's for sure. But yeah. I do think, I do think that that cap hit is, roughly what he would have gotten based on how he's played this year well again you got to know what the you got to take a look at what the league is getting like what defensemen are getting in the league and i do i do think that he gets something very maybe it's a slightly less because he's had a bad year or a down year but i mean he's still young he's still you know thought of in in positive lights by a number of people in the league i do think he gets something close to that um in free agency yes not maybe not eight again not eight years can't get eight years in free you're not gonna get eight years of free agency so but i i do think he gets you know five and a half at least i mean yeah maybe, maybe he doesn't get 6.2 but maybe he gets 5.5 because you're not that far off if i were to concede that point to you and say okay fine there is another team that would have given it to him isn't this the same conversation that we have had about a number of these players that Chuck Fletcher has signed to extensions, whether it's the free agent signing of Kevin Hayes, whether it's, uh, you know, the extension of, of Sanheim here, whether it was, I, I'll pull up the tweet here in a second. There are some bad deals that he signed, but uh, even the Delorier deal, which isn't a huge cap hit, but it was just kind of like an unnecessary thing. Isn't there a thought process that goes through where you, you look and you say, just because somebody else is willing to do it doesn't mean you need to do it. Just because there is a team out there who's willing to sign a guy to a six and a half million or six and a quarter million salary. It doesn't mean you have to be the one to do it. 
that that to me is I think part of the problem that we've we've seen here time and time again with Chuck Fletcher's decision making. Um, if if you guys had to put a uh, put odds on it, what percentage chance do you give Joel Farabee being on this team at the start of next season? And what percentage chance do you give on Travis Sanheim being here next season? Start with you, Ant. Farabee, 90%. Sanheim, less than that. <laughs> um, only because I don't know, how, you know, I, I don't know how movable the contract is yet. I haven't really had an opportunity to kind of dive into that with, with anyone. Um, this is kind of like a new thing this week, right? We'll talk about talk about Sanheim and and you know wh- where he's at in this contract and and what what it would be like. I do think someone would take it. I do, um, and I really don't think the Flyers would have to keep any money. Um, the question is, is that would you get would you get as much in return as you might have had you traded him say last year? And I'd say the answer to that is no. Isn't that the same thing that we asked about Ristolainen as well? Like you could have potentially, after you acquired him, you could have potentially traded him yeah. for assets rather than give him the deal yourself. I, I'm not saying they're the same situation, but like this, this is a thing that we've now talked about with multiple defensemen that he's acquired. Yeah, and I, I rec- and I recall saying to you then that you I wouldn't have done that. And turns out you watch Ristolainen play this year, he's been pretty good um in the role that he's had so i mean sometimes you have to you have to trust that it will get there right sometimes you have to believe that what you did was for a reason and it will get there i'm not saying that what they traded for him was necessarily fair like the equal value right but they're not getting a you're not getting the same bad rasmus ristolainen that played in buffalo you've gotten a much better player under under john tortorella um, and, and he's, he's proved worthy of it. Like if you sit there and say, can, can Rasmus Ristolainen be a part of this defensive core as it, as the team tries to improve over the next four years? And the answer, I think after one year under Torts's, uh, uh, system is yes. So I mean, he's not a top pair guy, uh, but he's certainly a competent second pair guy, I think at this point. And he's a, and if he ends up being on your third pair, he's a good third pair guy. Right. So I, I think that that's fine. You know, I, I think that that's fair. Maybe, maybe not what you, like I said, maybe not the picks that get traded for him, but at his value with his contract, I think it's right. It's spot on. Okay. Bundy, do you think the, the chance, do you echo Ant's sentiments on here of, of the chances of Farabee and Sanheim being back? Yeah, Farabee, I think, will be back for sure just because of his contract. I mean, you're not going to trade him because his value would be too low right now, and it's not going to get any better between probably here and the draft. So you got to go in the camp again. Um, yeah, and I guess probably Sandheim a little less. You know, it just depends what happens at the year. A lot of things happen at the end of the year where you're like, maybe you didn't see coming during the year because you just want to keep it off the radar. So we'll see how it goes. But, uh, you know, again, I, I, I do feel more like um, – uh, just watching from the outside, even as a casual fan, if you wanted to say it, like, I really do feel like there's more Torts is really trying to put more of a handprint on this whole thing than just coaching. And that's become pretty evident, like whether it's kind of pushing back on or, or maybe countering what he thinks that Chuck has done, uh, make, maybe making a, you know, like a case for that through the media sometimes by scratching guys or talking about it. But uh, I do feel like he wants his handprint on things. And I, and I do believe he's going to be probably very vocal uh, in the summertime, uh, whoever's here telling him like, this is the guys I want. And here's the guys that I didn't like this year. And he's going to be pretty honest about it. So there was Russ, a- I, Russ, I, I should, I, I should add that yeah. in the, the story that I wrote today about the whole Farabee situation, I, I broke it down in 10 points, like 10, 10 points about, you know, what's going on. And number 10, I did write, it's worth noting that well-run teams don't have things like this happen. But these are your flyers in 2022 23. Yep. So, 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 so I don't want, I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm completely against being an what apologist you're saying. for Chuck Fletcher. Yeah. No, I, well, I'm certainly not, but I, I don't want you also to also think I'm completely going against what you're, what you were saying. I just want to just, you know, I, I, I pump the brakes a little bit sooner than you do. That's all. Listen, pal, I think at this point, we've done this show long enough together that you know, you can go against me as much as you want. I will stand resolute in my beliefs and you will in yours as well. There, there was a tweet that went out, guys. And, and we, I, I know there was one other thing we wanted to touch on here before we head out. But 
there was a tweet that went out. It was uh, uh, at KS Fortier or Fortier. I don't know how French we're going here. Um, but he, he kind of outlined some of the, the contracts that are on the books. And you look at where these players are in terms of their health or where you look at in terms of you know where they fit long term. Sean Couturier has seven years left at $7.75 million per. Sanheim, this new extension that kicks in next year, eight years at $6.25 million. Farabee, five years at $5 million. Ryan Ellis, remember him? Four years at $6.25 million. Ristolainen, four years at $5.1 million. Hayes, three years left at $7.14 million. Provorov, two years at $6.75 million. Atkinson, remember him? Two years at $5.875 million. Delorier, three years at $1.75 million. If we look at this, okay, there are nine players on that list. Seven of those players, seven, have been given deals by Chuck Fletcher. Seven of them. The only two that haven't been given deals were Atkinson and Ellis, who were acquired via trade by Chuck Fletcher. Couturier, yet to play this season, is now skating on his own. Sanheim has been scratched. Farabee has been benched. Ellis has not played. Ristolainen has been benched. Hayes has been benched and scratched. Provorov, well, we know how that's gone. Atkinson has not played. Delorier actually has, has done, I guess, fine for, for what he's supposed to do. It's still a crazy contract with a no movement, but whatever. But when you look at that and you think about the public pissing war, piss battle, between the coach and the president of Hockey Ops. If either you haven't played this year or you have been scratched or have been benched, those tend to be the most recent Chuck contracts or big money Chuck guys. At some point, do we think that this is going to break? At some point, does ownership look at this and say, this is not a relationship that is meant to last in the long term? And something needs to change. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, it does need to change. There's, there's no doubt about it. This no, is, no, no. You're saying it needs to change. I'm saying, does ownership at some point say that things have to change? Well, that's how that's, long can they sit? I say they. How long can Dave Scott sit on his tufted pillow and decide? Mm -hmm that he's going to either not give a shit enough, not understand what's happening enough, just sit back and like eat his grapes while being fanned with palms before he realizes that this is bad and it needs to get changed. Like, does it happen, Ant? Does it? I, I still think it will. I, I think that I think they're just gonna get through the season at this point, but I, I, I can't say with 100% certainty anymore. Like, I, I don't get it. I don't, I, I, like I've said on this episode, on this show in previous episodes, I can't believe that it's, that he's still there. I just can't. But he is. That said, I, I don't know. I don't think you can give him the draft and, and, and offseason free agency. Deadline, you're not going to, you know, what are you, what are you moving at the deadline? You're moving JVR, right? You might move Nick Sealer. You might move Justin Braun. You might move Patrick Brown. Like, they're the four guys you might move. You're not getting a ton there. I mean, you'll maybe get some draft pick assets that are, you know, whatever, fine. Um, JVR could get you a decent pick maybe. Um, but other than that, you're not looking at a ton that you're going to get. So I don't see how he can negatively impact the team at the deadline. I think it's pretty safe. That said, it, beyond it, yeah, I don't, I don't see how. I just don't see... I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what Dave's thinking. I don't know what's holding him back. And, and it was, it was, you know, when we talked about the new CEO with Dan Hilferty on the last episode, it was imperative from Dave. He put it out there. He said, I am still, you know, Chuck Fletcher still answers to me. He doesn't answer to, Dave, to Dan Hilferty. So he obviously wants to be in charge of that. And, if you're not making that change, what is preventing you from doing so? I, that I don't understand. I don't think anybody does at this point. Um, the last thing that we wanted to get into, and, and Bundy, I want to throw this to you immediately as the former player. 
So Sean Couturier has had two back surgeries, has not played this season. Um, he was seen skating on his own on Thursday. Um, there appears to be a torn fan base on this. There are some who think that you should defer to the player, let the player figure it out on his own. If he feels comfortable enough to skate, if he feels comfortable enough to, to practice, and then if he feels comfortable enough to play potentially in games. I have a thought on this, but you're, you're the former player. Are the Flyers doing right by Sean Couturier to allow him to begin skating and presumably to start playing in games before the end of the season? You know what, Russ? Like at this point, I don't even know what they're supposed, what they can or can't do. Like, I mean, you got to find out what he's got. If he's telling you that he is ready to play, then you got to listen to the player. You have to listen to the player because a back, there's nothing you can go in and measure to find out that it's worse or getting worse. And that's a that's a part for me. And I tell talk about my back injury. I had concussions, guys. I had knee injury, shoulder, ab issues. Like, but the worst injury I ever had was that back. And I heard just all I did was herniate two discs in a game. And I know people are like, oh, that's all you did, but. It was so bad, and I don't even know, like, I don't even think to this day it's ever really healed, and that was, like, 2001. Like, two, I remember Billy Barber was a coach. It happened in Trenton, and I mean, I, I'm let it, like, it was probably the closest I came to crying as an adult, like, from actual physical pain. That's how bad it was, and I'm not, I'm not even afraid to say that. Like, to say someone called me a wimp or something, I don't care. It hurt that bad. So, I don't know what Coots is at, but from the team standpoint, like you have an expensive asset, you know, you got a valuable guy, like a guy that's you're paying a lot of money to. Um, he hasn't played in two years, pretty and almost two years. Mm-hmm. You got to find out what you got. I mean, you have got to see where he's at. Um, you know, again, it's not a concussion where he's coming back to, you know, like he's been shaky or wobbly and, you know, you could make it really worse. Listen, if he's going to come back and play and it's going to hurt again now anyway, then this is going to go on forever and ever. So you need to find out exactly what's going on. And the only way to do that guys is to let them skate and let them play in games. I mean, this is, this is a situation now where you're afforded the luxury of doing these things, you know, benching guys, you know, in certain areas, uh, you know, putting people in, uh, make, putting them in situations. Maybe they haven't played in before uh, just this last 20 games, but certainly with Couturier, you know, he would be the key guy of all of them that are injured. He'd be the guy that I'd really, really want to monitor the most because he's been a flyer for a long time. Uh, and he, quite frankly, he's missed two years, whether they ever want to say it or not, you're, you're not going to, you lose skill and you lose stuff when you haven't played in two years. I mean, the NHL lockout that, after that year in 04, I mean, there was a skill drop for sure, you know, and some guys, younger guys, but the older you are and the less more time you're off, it's not, it's not good for the player. And quite frankly, it's not good for the team and they're not going to be able to move that contract. No one's going to take that. So the, the best fit is to try to find a way to get Sean healthy and back into the lineup. And that, that would be for me, that would be what I'd be tr- what I'd try to do. And I would, you know, and I'd ask him if, if he's ready to go, I would encourage him to continue skating and, and see if we can find a way to work him into the lineup. This is where I want to lean back on, uh, back on your, your thought, um, and not push back, but I, I need to get, I need you to tell me how right or wrong this, this idea is. If Sean Couture, if this were the beginning of the season, like say they're, they're 10 games into the season, right? Like as a player, you've gone through preseason and like, you're still kind of finding your pace 10 games in, right? Like this is one of the things we talked about at the beginning of the year about being well-conditioned about like the torts camp, all that. 10 games into a season, you're playing at a certain level, you're playing at a certain speed. You're still not fully in top form, right? If if you bring Couturier in with, say, four games left, five games left in the season, six, seven, however many, the teams he's going to be taking the ice against are, in, in most cases, playoff-bound teams. He's going to see Dallas. He'll see Boston. Um, he's going to see, you know, Pittsburgh's going to, you know, battle. Um, you're going to see, you know, Carolina, you're going to see Tampa Bay. My concern on a fundamental level is if, if you're going up against these teams that have a lot to play for, that have playoff positioning to play for, that are ramped up because they played 60 plus games, they're going to be playing at that full pace at that full, give it everything you have level. 
are you potentially running Katuria into a situation where he's more likely to get hurt because he's going to be playing at more of that preseason or first five or 10 games pace, especially since he hasn't played in almost two years? Like, is there anything to that, Bundy, or am I just like, am I just kind of way I, off? I mean, listen, I, and he's going to go back in anyway. It's a physical game. And he's going to get hit. But you have, like I said, Russ, I, if, if he gets hurt again, then then he gets hurt again. But I mean, that's the way that's the way it goes. But you you don't know until you play him. So if you can't figure it out until you get him in a like a hard practice or a week or ten days. But I don't. I just don't know what other options they have here. You can't trade him. I mean, you could. You're not going to send him down. I mean, you know, just to get for conditioning. So I really think that they have to figure out a path with him. And I think the only viable path is to play him and let him get into it. And if he does get hurt again, then you know that you've got at least another six or eight months before the season starts again next year. But at this point, I don't know. I mean, this is it's a it's a real problem. It is from multiple levels from, you know, from him not being part of the team, certainly the biggest part on the ice, but also with the contract it carries moving forward and and, and the um, uh, the lack of, of interest that will come because he's injured. They won't be able to move that 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 clock, you know, that contract. So there's a lot of moving parts with this one. But I, I think really that, you know, Coots is a pretty it's been a warrior here. And I have confidence that if he's able to play and can play. He's going to sure going to try, and I think the team has to let him do that. And you expect him to play? How how soon would if he's if he's skating now? Assuming he doesn't have a setback, how how soon could we see Sean Couturier on the ice? Keep in mind they've got two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen, twenty-one games left. As I'm doing my scroll, twenty-one games left. Like where? Where could we realistically see him? Is this a mid-March? Is this a, a beginning of April? Do you do you bring him back in the beginning of April no, I, I and let him get seven games under his belt? Like, I, I think where do you I, go? I think if you're somewhere in the last ten to twelve games is probably realistic, right? Um, there is a long homestand in March. Um, I think that would be a, a time to maybe give it a give it a shot. Um, you know, maybe he comes back. You know that Carolina home game that Saturday, and then you get a, then you get two days off before you play again, kind of thing. And then there's a, a bunch of home games you don't have to really travel. Um, so maybe that's you know I don't know that's probably 14 games out, but um, somewhere in that range I think is is fair. Again, it's really assuming on on how he feels and his health and his ability. Um, but if that's if that's the case, that's kind of I think a stretch of games that you'd like to see him be able to get through and see how he plays and see how he looks because you need to know where this guy is going to be or where you think he's going to be for next season. Um, and it's probably worth playing some games just to make sure that you know what you have. Like Bundy was saying, you can't, you can't just, you know, go into next season having him not seen him play competitively for over two years and just assume he's going to be a top six forward again. Yeah, that would be, that would be even greater malpractice, right? I mean, you, you really should know what where he's at and what he can what he'll be capable of doing before you even go into the offseason. So so yes, I if if he if he can play, if he's comfortable with it, I'd say those last 10, 10 12, 15 games is is fair. I guess the only thing that like is a concern there, maybe, is I don't even know how much it matters how how good he is. Like if if we're talking about the difference between like is he a top six forward or is he a is he like a third liner based on how he's he's playing? That cap hits that cap hit. That's not going to change. If you're fundamentally trying to make your team better, you're going to have to spend that money anyway. Unless you're yeah, talking you, about like, unless you're talking that, about like allocating funds to get a top guy because you think you're closer because you think Atari is going to come back at, at that level. Well, you, or, you have to you have to know where he's at, what level he's at, right, Russ? I mean, if he's a, still a top six forward, well, that's one less top six forward you need. If he's not and he's a third line guy, well, okay, that's that sucks, but at least you know, and that, and then you know what you need, right? I mean, so it, it tells you how many holes you need to fill and where those holes are. It doesn't, that's the only reason you do it. It's, it's not necessarily, the cap hit, you're right, the cap hit is the cap hit, regardless, but it, at least now you'll know where he fits in, so. Even if, even if this team were healthy, like, would we all agree that they need another top six forward next year? Because I would say no, One. I would say... Well, well, I'm saying that, that that's why I guess that's my counter to this whole thing is like you still need to add top end talent no matter what, whether it's whether it's him or not. And like, I think you could probably make the case that you need another another top two center, whether he's healthy or not. So I, I don't know how much it changes the calculus on that, because it's not it's not as if Sean Couturier is the sixth of 
of your, your, you know, ironclad top six forwards on this team. And the other five guys are locked in. Like, I don't, I don't think we're there. Um, all right, guys, that, that might be an okay place to, to wrap for this week. I, I do have one, one last thing I want to throw at you guys. Look at you doing the crossed up thing on stage. One, no, you guys, I think you guys, this, you guys will get a kick out of this and at least be worth a comment, quick comment. Uh, Edmonton went into Pittsburgh the other night and absolutely spanked the Penguins. Absolutely spanked them. 72 was the final. Yeah. Killed them. Crowd in Pittsburgh started a chant. The chant was fire Hextall. My fi- the, the funniest thing I read is when I see like some nut job in Pittsburgh. It's the best where they go, Hextall is like a planted, uh, he's been planted by the Flyers <laughs> to like spy on. It's like, what are you? I, was, I wasn't going to say the F word. I almost did. I didn't. I was going to say, like, they're like, yeah, he's like a he's a secret spy. Put it out. Yeah. Mary was going to hire Hexy to come in and spy for the Flyers. Yeah. That's like that's like worse than the alien stuff coming out. Like, you know, it's whatever. But I mean, listen, they're, they, they, they probably hate him already because he was a flyer. But now that they're getting spanked and I mean, it's like they're 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 really teetering. Right. Because they're another that's another franchise that's looking at the contracts he gave. And now yeah. it's like one of those things where if they work, it's he gets maybe another year, right? But when they're not working and the team's now starting to fall as we thought it would for three years, yeah, he's going to taste it and he's going to not, he will not like that at all. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. There there was the thing that came out that the Penguins could have been in on Chikrin, but Hextall doesn't want to give up picks. He doesn't want to give up future picks, which is funny because where have we seen that before? Um, if you do a really quick search on Twitter right now, uh, for Hextall. Let me just read a couple of, of the most recent tweets. <clears throat> I don't know who this person is. It looks like she's a Penguins fan. Ron Hextall is a problem. He has been since he came to Pittsburgh. I know not seeing eye to eye with your GM usually causes more problems for the coach than it does the GM, but Ron hasn't done anything beneficial for the team. Not really. He's got to go ASAP. Uh, here's another one. Hextall is a dual threat GM. He'll not only do, uh, he'll only, he'll not only not do anything for the NHL club, but he'll draft a bunch of guys that will never be NHL players. Uh, this comes after uh, Rob Rossi put out a, a, a story that includes a differing view between Mike Sullivan and Ron Hextall has influenced the Penguins' approach to the deadline. This is where all this is, this is coming from. Um, the video is going around on Twitter of the Fire Hextall chant. Um, the home crowd booing the Penguins. It, it's, not, it's not good. And I, I almost, there's a small part of me that feels bad. I shouldn't say this. Small part of me feels bad for Penguins fans a little bit. And and there's there's one reason. You know that you're at the very end of Crosby's career. You're at the end of what will be, you know, this this thing with Malkin, right? You're at the end of of that 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 core that led you to to cups. And they are now Crosby is now getting to feel what Giroux probably felt. And towards the end of, of his time with the Flyers, especially in those Hextall years, where you could theoretically mortgage off some of the future to make this team an actual cup contender or a team that you've seen do it well in the, in the, in the playoffs in the past. And this guy isn't going to pull the trigger on a move. It, it's frankly astounding that it's happening again. What team will hire Ron Hextall next? And how long will it take for the fans to figure out that he is who we thought he was. All right. Anyway. And and I'm glad you brought it up. It is I'm one last ahead. thing. It was a By good the way, one, speaking right? Of, speaking of one last thing, mm-hmm. Anthony, uh, earlier today, recorded a podcast with Bob Wankel, the, uh, the, the Phillies slash former Phillies writer, CrossingBroad.com. Anthony and Bob are now taking Crossed Up, as Anthony mentioned, I think it was last week, twice a week. They've got Monday, Friday. And I believe as the season rolls on, they're going to be doing daily or almost daily uh, podcasts in between. I even saw that there was another San Filippo uh, brought onto the show. Now, buddy, like Ant, when, when Ant brought this up, he said, Antonio, third person. Antonio San we, Filippo. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have a third guy. We have a third person coming. And this is like the old, like bash at the beach, right? Who's the third man? And Hulk Hogan comes out. And they're like, that's the third man. But whose side is he on? And I, 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 I listen, I edit, crossed up, and there's a young San Filippo. Now, I don't have the screen cap pulled up anymore. I think he's I not might that young. He's, clo- he's closer in age to you than he is to me. Okay. 
Um, He's only four years younger than you. (laughs) Funny, I got to be honest with you. I saw Ant's son, this this son, not the youngest son. He looks like if Anthony and Bob Wankel had a love child. Like, he looks... (laughs) He looks... Like both of them, like fused. And the thing is that on the screen, it was, you know, Ant up here, Bob up here, and then young San Filippo down below. It looked like a family tree. It looked like, I don't know, I don't know how it happened. It was, it was honestly kind of remarkable. So there are now two San Filippos who are in some way, shape, or form affiliated with Cross Step Phillies podcast. We'd suggest that you go and you, you go listen to the show, you go subscribe to it. They have their video going on the Crossing Broad uh, channel on YouTube as well. So there's there's the plug of the day. Bundy, do you want to plug anything on your way out? Uh, nope. I think I'm good today. Just, again, all my recovery stuff. Anybody struggling out there with addiction, uh, mental health, uh, you can reach me at BundyRecovery at ChrisTarian.com. BundyRecovery at ChrisTarian.com. And, uh, yeah, I got a few good things coming out. Foundation is ready to roll, so I'm pretty excited about that, too. And, uh, you know, getting some stuff out, helping people struggling with addiction and mental health. There's a lot of it. And uh, keep doing good work with that in the uh, in the community. So I'm going to keep rolling. Thanks. And look, and look for Bundy at the game tonight if you're down there. I'll be there. Allegedly at the suite level. The Philly, oh, the, the home-and-home Philly special. Sixers Flyers. There you go. <laughs> Battle on Broad. <laughs> If uh, if you're a pro wrestling fan out there, you can subscribe. You can find over on Twitter, and there's a newsletter coming. It's just wrestling. You can find it. You can find it. I'll, I'll tweet some stuff out about it. If you're a pro wrestling fan, if you're not, whatever. Anyway, for Ant, who you can find on Twitter at Ant San Philly, for Bundy, who you can find on Twitter at C Six. I'm Russ at Joy Umbroad. Thanks for listening. Remember, go tell two people in your life that are Flyers fans, or even if they're not. If you know somebody in your life who's not even a hockey fan right now, you can tell them about this great this great hockey team known as the Philadelphia Flyers and lead them to the only Flyers podcast, Snow the Goalie. Let them know. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Amazon Music, Pandora. You can find this show, the video of the show. If you want to look into Anthony's eyes, if you want to smile along with Bundy, you can find it over on the Crossing Broad YouTube channel. There's a specific playlist for Snow the Goalie. You can find us on Twitter at Snow the Goalie, on Instagram at Snow the Goalie, and then of course Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. If all that's too confusing, go to snowthegoalie.com. You can find the most recent episode. We have the players embedded there. We have the YouTube video there. You can just go to snowthegoalie.com and find us there. F word subscribe. Free this hit F word free this What's week. What's that? F word free this week, too. F word free. I even told people off the top of the episode that there might be profanity, and there really wasn't even that much. Not one. That's what I get for for trying to like get people. Ready for this. So proud of Bundy for no, no F word Bundy. I look forward to the uh, five-star reviews next week. Don't forget, if you haven't done so, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. If you're on Spotify, you can go to the Snow the Goalie feed. And when you uh, click on the Snow the Goalie logo below it, you can leave a, uh, a, a star rating. You can't leave a written out review. Somebody asked about that in a DM. You can leave a rating. So leave a five-star rating there. It helps us as we climb those charts. So uh, for Bundy, for Ant, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening, maybe even watching Snow the Goalie. We'll talk to you again next week.